Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. We're so happy to be with you as usual. Yes. We just learned the other day, thought we'd pass along this little tidbit of information. Uh, it happened a few weeks ago, but we only just recently learned that we have surpassed the one millionth download on the Ask Christopher West podcast. So thank you, everybody out there for being faithful listeners, for helping us reach that milestone. Yes, and all those that shared episodes with friends and people that could benefit, thank you so much. It's very encouraging to know that that many people are actually out there listening. Mm. So keep the questions coming. We we love to get your questions. We love to answer your questions. We love being part of this with you. We get a lot of emails as well from people around the world just sharing uh, how much this uh, podcast has meant to them, and that keeps us going. Oh, for sure. You are why we do what we do. Thank you for being you. Mm, absolutely. Do you have any news from the TUB Institute to share? Yes, I want to share, in case you didn't hear the news on last week's episode, that we have a brand new book coming out. It's the first release from the Theology of the Body Institute Press, and it is the first time ever published in English a retreat that John Paul II delivered long before he became Pope in 1962. He delivered a retreat to artists, and it's called God is beauty. Uh, if you're an artist, you'll love it. But as John Paul II says, everyone is called to make of his or her life a beautiful work of art. And so it's for everyone who wants to make of his or her life a beautiful work of art. What does it mean that God is beauty? We have a link below in the show notes where you can uh, pre-order the book. It's not actually ready to be shipped out to you yet, but we're taking pre-orders. We know there's going to be a mad dash uh, when the book is is released, so you get your pre-order in. You will be the first to have it put in the mail to you when it is printed. We expect to have them available in November, so I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed about what a wonderful work this is. It's not only the retreat itself. There's also a lot of commentaries and reflections from artists and theologians, myself included, that unpack the work of John Paul's teaching it's a tremendous resource. People will really, really benefit. Mm, that's good news. Very good news. Shall I share a question from one of our patrons? Yes. This is from Amy. Hello, Amy. Thank you so much for being part of our patron community. We can't do this work without you. So grateful to you. She says, hello, Christopher and Wendy. Thank you both for all the work you do. Your ministry is truly amazing. My question is this. How do I process and release feelings of resentment about my fiance's sexual past. Mm. I'm ashamed that I feel so upset about something mm. that happened before we even met each other, especially because for many years now, he's been a beautiful example of virtue and selflessness. I know I need to let this go, but I just can't release these feelings of self-consciousness, pain, and betrayal when I think about how I waited for him, but he didn't wait for me. Please help. Bless you, dear sister. Bless you, dear Amy. Uh, Wendy, I'm sure Amy 
will be blessed to hear your reflections on this because we had a similar situation where you had waited for your husband and I was honored to be that man. And I had been sexually active in my teenage years. And I know you had to work through things there. We had to work through things together there. But I, I want to say first to you, dear Amy, I don't think you should feel ashamed that this has hurt you. In fact, if it didn't hurt you, I would think your heart was maybe insensitive to the truth of things, or maybe was, was numb to a pain that you should feel. I think you are right to recognize that this was an infidelity in advance. So, so I, would, I would just encourage you, ask the Lord, why do I feel ashamed that I'm in pain? Are there contrary voices out there that saying, hey, you shouldn't think that, oh, that was so long ago, or what, whatever. No, I think you are accurately and properly in touch with reality in feeling that pain. Now, here's the good news. That pain can become redemptive pain. That pain can become powerful intercession for your future husband, for your future children, and for anyone else you feel inclined to offer that pain in intercession for. This is the miracle of redemption. This is, this is how it works. And I, I know I've quoted very often from this section of the Catechism on the podcast, but it, it bears repeating. I'd invite you, Amy, to look up Catechism number 2843. I'm pretty sure that's the proper paragraph number. It's in the section of the Our Father, where, <clears throat> where we're praying, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It may be the case, I can't read into your heart to know for certain, it may be the case that there's some unforgiveness in your heart towards your fiancé, and if that is the case, that certainly should come into the light. And if you're feeling a certain shame about your unforgiveness, well, that would be a proper sense of shame. But, but let's also acknowledge, and the Catechism does right here, that forgiveness is not cheap. It's not simply saying, oh, I forgive him and let's move on. No, no, forgiveness involves, especially when a, a real painful in infraction has taken place, as in your case, forgiveness involves a necessary interior labor. And that interior labor is, just like the word suggests, it's, it's difficult. It's a labor. It's, it's, a it's a painful work. It's like labor pains. You have to almost give birth to forgiveness. So listen here to what the Catechism says. I, I, I think you'll find this blesses you and shows you a way forward. I'm working from memory here, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I have this close to word for word. It is not in our power, the Catechism says, not to feel or to forget an offense when someone has wounded us, but the heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit transforms the pain into compassion. Why did your fiancé cause you this pain? Well, again, the culture wants to say, well, he didn't even know you then. That was long before da-da-da-da-da. No, 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 no. He should have waited for his wife, and you are going to be his wife. He should have waited for you. And there is a pain there. 
but why did your husband cause you that pain? Because he was in pain, right? Sin is almost always a, a kind of self-medicating our pain. So I would invite you to consider that the pain you feel that he has caused you here is an open window into his pain, into what he was going through in his past, into a mistaken sense of himself, a mistaken sense of what would bring happiness and fulfillment, uh, a temptation that he fell into. The Lord may well open your heart to even kind of taste or feel or experience some of the things that he went through. Put it this way, you're going to marry this man, and that makes you, as his wife, his number one intercessor. So let me let me continue with this passage from the Catechism. The, the Holy Spirit will transform the pain into compassion and transform the memory, the sting of that memory becomes intercession. Intercession for the one who hurt you to liberate him from whatever remnants may be in his own heart from that sinful experience. Uh, This is your vocation. You are now his main intercessor, and I would even invite you to consider the pain you're now feeling is an invitation to open that pain, let it be transformed by the Holy Spirit into compassion, and let, let it also become intercession that liberates your future husband. And Wendy, you can speak into this. I can speak into this because we've experienced this. Mm-hmm. The way you have processed the pain that I caused you by my advance infidelity, you, the Lord has, has walked you through a path, taken you on a journey. Uh, also, the pain that I've since caused you in our marriage through my own brokenness, uh, in all kinds of ways I've caused you pain. But the Lord has taught you how to open that pain to the Holy Spirit and let it be transformed into intercession. And I have, without a doubt, I know it has borne fruit in liberating me. And I'll say this, I was only sexually active uh, with one person um, in terms of, you know, actual intercourse in my teenage years, and I'm 52 now. And that stuff doesn't just go away. It has taken a long time to work through issues I've needed to work through to be more and more liberated from the wound that that caused me in my teenage years. And there's no doubt in my mind, Wendy, that your intercession for me has brought profound liberation from from that uh, from the impact of that experience in my life. Hmm. I'm struck by Amy's word. She said she struggles with self-consciousness in, mm. in the list mm. of things she was feeling. And I could really relate to that, Amy, in the sense that there are times when I feel a certain embarrassment about my innocence um, at times. Mm-hmm. And I, it's a pain. It's a, a, that embarrassment is painful. And I, I kind of identify that with what you said about self-consciousness, a certain, um, strange sort of where something which is positive, which is your virtue and readiness to be a full gift to your husband 
the evil one twisted into yes. a negative and something that we would be embarrassed about. That's the enemy. I'm so that, glad you just acknowledged that. That needs to be acknowledged. That is the enemy. Yes. And I, if we can recall as we're entering into marriage, it's, it's, it takes reminders that there is an enemy who wants to sow division in our marriage relationships. Every married person experiences this, but very sneaky enemy. And so, you know, who brought about this wound in advance to your marriage through your fiance's past sins, um, but who wants to continue. Let's, let's have that keep on working on this couple. Let's keep them, you know, yeah. from really being the light that the Lord has called them to be in this world by just, you know, keeping uh, them apart in different ways through this experience. Um, nothing makes the enemy happier than to just separate us. And I just share that because I've felt that, that feeling of shame and embarrassment about my own innocence, which is, is a, a false thing that should not be painful. And yet it's because of the world and because of the attacks of the evil one that I have felt that. So I've, I've prayed through that. I've prayed with Christopher about that experience at times to just allow him also to declare like that's not true what's true is that your innocence and your virtue are beautiful and a light and a gift to yes. me yes a and gift to me right. your your virtue without a doubt has been instrumental in healing me from my lack thereof there's no doubt about that in my mind so um, I, I share that, and I, you know, as Christopher said, we certainly have um, looked at the very specifics of our own histories and of his relationships in the past as we were comfortable. But I think the general um, sentiment of there being merciful love flowing from on high into each of our hearts, that it doesn't just take the human person's ability to forgive, but it's it's because we have been forgiven by our Lord that we're able to experience His mercy flowing through us that allows us then, as different questions have, certainly in the early part of our relationship, I would sometimes find myself with questions about your past. And if I didn't believe that love and mercy are possible, that your, um, Christopher, your um, regret over the past was sincere, that your um, desire to be a true gift was sincere, I wouldn't have felt free to ask the questions that came to my mind. And they would have just worried me and stayed in yes, there yes. as a kind of a separation and my imagination would fill in blanks. And I remember that in an in our earlier relationship being something that was really helpful to me to just trust that love is real, mercy is real, and I can ask my questions and in a safe place and, and find then that that was very freeing. And then that didn't worry me any longer and it allowed me to love you more. And I think that's really important in what you're sharing is that when the pain is offered up and the mercy flows, then the compassion flows for the other who has been wounded also. You know, your fiancé has been wounded by these experiences. And as Christopher said, those wounds are part of 
what he brings to your marriage and part of how you're called to be a source of God's healing is in recognizing the wounds are painful and to, yes. to tread lightly there and not to say, your woundedness hurt me, let me hurt you back. That's Those tender areas need extra love and care, not um, what the enemy would want to throw into the mix, which is greater division. Yes, amen. I'll, I'll share one thing that I remember dawned on me in our time of engagement when I was wrestling through some of this, knowing that I had had a sexual relationship and you had not. And I, I remember realizing, wait a minute, what I did as a teenager was not the free, total, faithful, fruitful gift of self. What I did as a teenager was I negated that, and and it doesn't mean there wasn't some genuine love in the relationship. There was, but the the sexual aspect of it was was very usorial. I was not making the free, total, faithful, fruitful gift of self. In other words, I wasn't making a marital gift. She wasn't my wife, and it dawned on me. And this is not at all to whitewash or excuse my behavior, but I, I share this with you to to I hope bless you and and open a pathway which is very true and genuine to say that your husband, your future husband, has never given himself away maritally. He has never renewed wedding vows with the language of his body. And for those of you out there listening who may not know John Paul II's teaching here, in the theology of the body we learn that sexual intercourse has a language and the language of, of sexual intercourse in God's plan is to express divine love. And divine love is free, it is total, it is faithful, it is fruitful. And this is precisely what a man and a woman commit to at the altar. Have you come here freely to give yourselves to one another wholeheartedly or without reservation? Do you promise to be faithful to one another all the days of your life? Do you promise to receive children lovingly from God? The bride and the groom say at the altar, yes, we do. And then that night and throughout the course of their marriage, whenever they become one flesh, they are meant to be expressing and renewing their wedding vows. It was very liberating for me to realize, oh my gosh, I will be expressing and renewing wedding vows with the language of my body for the very first time because I've never done it before. And it's an injustice to compare what I did as a teenager with the marital embrace. It was not the marital embrace. It was a mockery of the marital embrace. Uh, and that's, that's damaging. That's painful. That is a kind of infidelity in advance. But there's also a certain consolation here that I had never, I had, what, what you and I experienced, Wendy, when we came together for the first time in the marital embrace, I can truly say it was the first time I ever experienced that. Hmm. That's true. That is true. I had never given myself freely, totally, faithfully, and open to life. I never had. Mm -hmm. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. And thank you, Wendy, for all you have worked through to, to forgive me and to show me mercy. It mm -hmm. has saved my life, and you'll only know in heaven. <laughs> thank you, Wendy. You're welcome. Our next question is from a listener named Megan. She says, Thank you so much for your beautiful insight into marriage, natural family planning, and theology of the body. You're welcome, Megan. 
My husband and I are practicing Catholics married in the church. We have four beautiful children here on earth and four children that we miscarried waiting in heaven. We are reluctantly practicing NFP. I say reluctantly because my husband does not fully agree with the church's teaching on NFP and chastity within marriage. He does not understand why, when we've decided that more children are not a good idea right now, we can't be together in other ways during fertile times. I feel like I've exhausted all avenues in trying to help him understand, and he's completely closed off to seeking out answers for himself. He seems set in his ways, and I know only God can change his heart. My rosary intention every day is that he will accept chastity in marriage. I guess my question is, what can I do in the meantime without falling into sin while I'm waiting for his heart to be softened by God? I know he resents me during times of abstaining, and during those times it feels as though our marriage is crumbling and not growing. I should also add that I am open to more children but he feels that we're not ready for more. So to respect that, I feel like I'm always having to say no, even though I would be willing. Thank you for any advice at all. Megan, first of all, I just want to commend you for your honesty, for your vulnerability in putting this question out to us. We, we honor you there. We love you there. I hope we can say something to your heart that will encourage you and bless you on this very difficult part of your married life. And it shouldn't surprise us that we encounter struggles in marriage. Marriage <laughs> marriage is a call to holiness, and there's only one way to grow in holiness. That is through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when, when marriage is compared in the Scripture to the way God loves us, we have to keep in mind what that means. That's God loves us through the sacrifice of His Son. That means there are times when we are going to feel the, the crown of thorns getting pressed into our scalps. We're going to feel a sword being thrust into our heart. This is part, mysteriously, this is part of learning what it means to love. I, I want to address something you said. Uh, you said, your husband wonders why we can't be together in other ways during our times of abstinence. Now, I understand uh, the vagueness of the expression. It's, it's a delicate matter uh, in terms of putting into words what we're trying to express, but I, I, I feel as a teacher of the faith a need to, to qualify some things here. To be together in other ways, uh, does that mean sexual climax apart from marital intercourse? If that's what that means, that would be not appropriate. And why is that? Well, I would invite people, if you really want to dive into these issues, I have the time and the space to explain the Church's teaching very thoroughly in my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, and there's, I think there's always a link there in the show notes to get a copy of that. And I'm not saying this to sell books, I'm saying this to help hearts. Uh, if you honestly can't afford the $15 or whatever it costs for the book, would you please just send Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, at tobinstitute.org. Send Michelle, there's only one L in Michelle, that's why I spelled it. Um, send Michelle an email, and if you honestly can't afford the 15 bucks for the Good News book, just let her know you want to take Christopher up on his offer, I'll send it to you free, 
my gift to you. I'm not trying to make money. I'm trying to bless people. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help. I mean, I have to make money too to, to do this work, but God's going to provide. He has always provided. I'm not, I don't care about the money is what I'm trying to say. I care about helping hearts. So I would ask you, Megan, have you and your husband read the good news about sex and marriage together? I, 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 if you haven't, please do so. It's a it's a very thorough presentation the church is teaching. If you have done that, and you, as you say, his heart is kind of closed and hardened here. Um, I, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just close that thought, and I'll get back to what I was explaining earlier. If you really believe your heart, husband's heart is really hardened here and is not open, your suffering, this causes you suffering, no doubt. Your suffering offered to the Lord for the softening of his heart, will be effective. You are your husband's number one intercessor, as I was saying earlier to, in response to the previous question. That's what spouses are for one another. We are each other's number one intercessor. Our role in married life is to get our spouse to heaven, to get one another to the marriage of the Lamb. And you have been called, you have been chosen, Megan, by the Lord, to bear a burden in your heart, which is very painful, for your husband's liberation from his hardness of heart. Jesus himself diagnoses hardness of heart as the main problem of all marriages. For your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And so often, the reason we have a hard heart when it comes to these issues is because love is difficult, love is challenging, and in our fallen humanity, we don't want to face those challenges, and we look for shortcuts, we look for ways around the cross, we look for detours around the cross. All that is now bringing me back to the point I wanted to clarify. Why is pursuing sexual climax, orgasm to be more specific, why is pursuing sexual climax, apart from the marital embrace, why is that a violation of God's plan for husband and wife? Because the joy, the intense release of, of, of joy, orgasmic joy, is meant to be the joy of loving as God loves. And God's love is generous. God's love generates that's why God gave us genitals, so we could image His generous, generating love. There is a natural, biological, and theological meaning to sperm given in the birth canal into the very place God designed it to be, and if I may use the language from the Song of Songs, a man's seed belongs only in his wife's garden. As soon as we justify climax apart from regular intercourse, well then, what's wrong with masturbation? What's wrong with two men uh, simultaneously masturbating each other? What makes orgasm orgasm in God's plan is the joy of holy communion open to life. That is only possible through the marital embrace. But that is not to say, and again, I unfold this in some detail in my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. If you don't have the money, email Michelle, and I'll send you a free copy. 
That is not to say that a husband and wife should be hands off during the times of abstinence. When you have a serious reason to avoid a child, the only kind of birth control that is in keeping with human dignity is self-control. But that should not necessitate that a husband and wife have to sleep in separate rooms. Uh, That should not necessitate that a husband and wife can't hold one another, can't be together naked and, and love one another and caress one another and kiss one another and hold one another in very affirming, uh, intimate ways, so long as they have the wherewithal and the self-mastery not to lead to have that lead to sexual climax, either for the husband or for the wife. Climax is meant to be the experience of holy communion in the marital embrace. But I know, I know well, that that kind of intimacy that does not lead to intercourse, that does not lead to climax, demands a very mature level of self-mastery. And Megan, this is what I would invite you to offer your sufferings for in intercession for your husband, that he would gain self-mastery, that he would grow in the virtue of chastity. And here I want to I read um, a passage from my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. Here on page 121, I say, marriage does not give us a free pass to indulge our disordered desires. Rather, marriage is a call to virtue, to the ordering of our desires toward true self-giving. As Catholic counselor Dr. Greg Popchak has insightfully observed, We need to recognize that any frustration we feel in practicing the abstinence required of natural family planning is a sign that NFP, natural family planning, is doing the job it's meant to do. And by that we mean it is helping us grow in virtue and authentic freedom. When we feel those frustrations, those inner tensions, We must learn to recognize them as the growing pains of personal maturity and the capacity for expressing authentic love. In those times when the growing pains hurt the most, we're not feeling a loving urge that must be satisfied. Rather, we are feeling a selfish selfish urge that must be crucified if we are to be transformed and reclaimed the freedom that our fallenness has taken from us. This is the gift and role of the virtue of chastity. And it seems, Megan, from what you've been sharing, that this is the virtue your husband is lacking and is resisting. And I get it, because to grow in this virtue demands a real death. But only as we learn to die to our selfish urges are we resurrected in a new way that allows us to become a true gift of self. I would even say, Megan, that this is an invitation maybe to examine your own heart and recognize ways that you have felt your husband's lack of chastity, lack of self-mastery, as a lack of an authentic gift of himself in precisely in your marriage bed and to to work through whatever issues in your own heart may be present, pains, wounds, hidden resentments perhaps, and to open them to the Lord, your true bridegroom, 
Open that pain as intercession for your husband. I promise you, as you walk the path of learning to open the pain that your husband's lack of chastity has caused you, as you open that and turn that pain into intercession for your husband, it will bear fruit in helping your husband to grow in that virtue. That's the promise of marital love. Uh, there's no promise that you will see the fruits of that in this life, necessarily, but you certainly will see the fruits of that in the next life. It is impossible that that kind of intercession offered will not bear fruit in one way or another. I can't guarantee that next week your husband will be jumping up and down about chastity, but I can promise you that you offering your sufferings for him in God's way, in God's timing, in this life or the next, it will bear fruit. Hmm. I always um, feel a certain uncertainty, a certain uncertainty about talking about um, affection during times of abstinence, wondering, are our listeners um, shocked by this? Are they um, yeah, what are they thinking? I, I feel like it's a topic that's very little discussed, even myself among my own friends. Yes, yes. Rarely have conversations about this. I know our relationships so well. I know the, that part of what has allowed us to have a certain amount of what we would call marital affection in the sense that we would not engage in this no, affection with We would not engage in this else. kind of affection with others. No, um, we would not. And yet it's, it's uh, not involving intercourse but it is and it's not involving climax right um during times of abstinence that there's been a lot of sort of what the lord has shown us about the meaning of affection itself and of being a gift to one another of our touch being a way of honoring one another of even being a prayer for the other yes yes that that the touch that we have between ourselves because we are spouses has a special power of the ministry of our sacrament yes, yes, yes. that is not dependent on the times when we're able to come into full marital union. Yes. It extends throughout our married life. It includes the greetings that we have in the kitchen with our children yes, around yes. in that all of our interaction and especially our physical touch is an affirmation of you are a gift to me. Yes. Um, yes. And I'm grateful for you, or I honor you, or I desire God's best for you. And that flows into private expressions of affection that are still marital, even though they're not the full marital embrace. Yes. Yes. And I, I know that that concept can be confusing and there's so much in our own personal and cultural backgrounds that is kind of making us you know maybe assume a certain step-by-step progression of all affection leading to this end and what we're experiencing is a meaningful affection that doesn't need to progress further because we understand one another and the ways that we're affected by this affection. I know I'm talking a lot. I'm, no, this is important because you're right, Wendy. Clarify. People don't talk about this. And yeah. they, I mean, on the one hand, it's understandable because it would be inappropriate for us to yeah. air publicly the intimate details of our affections. Right. But um, 
I, I think the key here, which is why it's maybe so almost incomprehensible for some to imagine this not leading to intercourse is because we're in a culture that we are not trained in self-mastery. Mm -hmm. And we think as soon as we're aroused, it has to go the whole way. Mm -hmm. uh, self-mastery is real. It is something we have to grow in. But a mature self-mastery, one can master his own impulses, desires, uh, emotions, such that, and here I'm just quoting John Paul II, so as to direct those desires and impulses and emotions towards the truth of self-giving and affirming love. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about pushing the envelope to get more and more pleasure without crossing the line. Um, that's a temptation, of course, but we're, we're talking about learning how to affirm the other with freedom. If, you, if a husband and a wife can't be naked together, can't kiss one another intimately without being overwrought by desire, well, then that's an indication that more self-mastery is needed and, and that we, it needs to be prayed for. Mm -hmm. And we need to learn how to say no maybe to other things. If you can't say no to a potato chip, how are you going to say no to, to other things? Um, so there's a, there's, I, I urge people, I invite people, please... Please take up the resources the church has given us to, to grow in self-mastery. Please immerse yourself in the theology of the body. It is a program for growing in self-mastery. I'm sorry, Wendy, I've interrupted you. That's okay. Um, but yeah, please. I would just encourage Megan um, to, and anybody else who's benefiting from this discussion, but especially related to Megan's question, to really pray about and Maybe talk to your husband about how can you affirm him physically during times of abstinence? What would he be open to? What might reach his heart where he's feeling frustrated and maybe rejected? Or maybe that he is not important to you during those times of absence? I know none of that is true, but our feelings yes, connected yes, to these yes. things can be very powerful. Um, what that looks like for your relationship is unique to you. I don't want to say what that would be because that's where you need to ask the Lord to inspire you and also talk with your husband and just try to cross that barrier. And that could be a very much a part of the Lord softening mm, his heart. Mm. I love what you said, Wendy, to affirm him physically in such a way that it reaches his heart. Mm. That is the key, <laughs> because we, we live in a ruptured world. We have, because of our fallenness, the body and the soul is ruptured. And self-mastery enables a reintegration. And I love what the Catechism says about self-mastery. I, I don't remember the exact paragraph, but... It says, self-mastery is a long and exacting work, and no one can ever claim to have fully arrived at self-mastery, but it demands a renewed effort at every stage of life. And I can certainly, we can certainly attest to that. I can say 26 years into married life, I experience in our affections, both in times when we're able to come together fully in the marital embrace, and other times when we're abstaining, but there's still a closeness, a physical closeness that reaches my 
heart. And when that happens, your way, the way you touch me, the way you kiss me, the way you hold me, as it reaches my heart, there is a deeper integration that's taking place in me between my body and my soul. And I come more, I become more at home in, in the human being I am, in the unity of my body and my soul. This is what authentic marital love can do. So often when we, when we follow our selfish uh, passions, it has the exact opposite effect. It ruptures us. It doesn't reintegrate us. It ruptures us even further. Or you might say it pours salt on the wound of our already existing rupture. Authentic marital affection, whether it's a gentle kiss on the cheek or it's the full expression of the marital embrace, is meant to reintegrate us, and it does. And there are times when when we know we can't come together in the full expression of our union, and that's a sacrifice. But what I really want is your love. I want your affection. I want your 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 tenderness that only you can express to me. And there are ways that you can express that to me, even when we're not going the whole way into our consummate embrace, that reaches my heart and blesses me and 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 integrates me and and that's a freedom to which every married couple is called and i'm telling you it's real don't let anybody tell you it is not real it must be fought for there is a high price to pay for that kind of freedom and self-mastery but you can't tell me it's not worth fighting for you can't tell me it's not worth dying for it is it's what we're made for mm. amen well, I thought we might have another t a time for another question, but I don't think we do because we <laughs> spent a lot of time unpacking that one. But I think it was worth it. Mm -hmm. And and I, I do, you know, in writing, I think it's a safer place to get into some of the nitty gritties, if you will, uh, that may not be appropriate in a podcast. Um, so please, again, consider if you haven't already read Good News About Sex and Marriage, uh, or even if you haven't read the 2018 edition, which was updated with a new chapter on the gender issues, et cetera, uh, that, gosh, 20 years ago when I wrote the book, those issues weren't even on the table in our culture. Uh, please read that book as a married couple. Something I recommend to married couples is 10 pages a week by yourself, reading it on your own. Then have some private time set aside once a week, just to get together and talk about what you're reading. That could be a very fruitful experience. Uh, that's great for engaged couples, great for dating couples, but especially great for, for married couples. Uh, we love you, Megan. Uh, please know we will be praying for you. And maybe, Wendy, maybe that's a good way to end this episode. Could you, could you end with a prayer for Megan? Absolutely. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of Megan's love for her husband and love for you, Lord. And I thank you that her priorities are right, that she wants to love you and follow what is she knows in her heart to be true, and that she wants to love her husband in very real ways. Lord, I ask you, please, to comfort her heart in all the suffering that she's bearing uh, during those times of abstinence when their marriage is feeling so um, not uplifted, but 
taken down, torn down, and the, the weight that she's bearing at those times, Lord, I ask you to come lift that burden and give her hope, inspire her, help her to have just a new effectiveness in her intercession for her husband. And I, I lift up her husband to you, Lord, and ask that you would do a mighty work in his heart and that this marriage would shine forth the light that you have intended it to shine in this world ever more brightly. Lord, I ask that that hardness of heart in her husband, I ask you please to, to, to massage that mm. and guide, guide Megan in massaging that hardness of heart. It's almost like a stiff muscle. That's kind of my image of it. Like there's strictures in that muscle that need to be massaged out, almost like a physical therapist or a masseuse would get in with a deep muscle massage mm -hmm. to loosen up those muscles. I ask that you would anoint Megan or or actually just unfold the anointing you already, you've already given her as his wife to massage that hardness of heart with her tenderness and her love, that his heart would open to your love, Lord, in new ways, and that he would discover the real meaning of sexual freedom, which is not the liberty to indulge our compulsions, but it is the liberation from our compulsion to indulge mm. so that we can become a genuine and sincere gift to one another. You came into the world, died and rose from the dead Jesus to set us free. For freedom you have set us free, and it is the freedom to love through the sincere gift of self. This is our prayer. that. Megan and her husband and all our listeners would know this freedom in new ways, that we would know, that each one of us would know where we need to know that we are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift of life and love, and that we would have the grace to become what we are. Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.